So Carl Gerhan Goldman was born in Germany and from a young age felt the desire to enter the priesthood. He lost his mother when he was young and a nun in his town said, well, it's cool. I'll be your spiritual mother from now on and you won't need anything. And uh, so he continued to grow and he eventually entered the Franciscan order and started his seminary training and everything was going great until a minor roadblock uh, came in his path. You may have heard of it. It was called World War II, the little thing. So um, in, in the midst of this, Carl is conscripted into the German army and immediately he doesn't like it. Like he doesn't want to be part of that. Uh, and so he's very, very verbal about this. He protests it. He doesn't want to be part of it. Uh, and, and one of the reasons was that they were like, okay, to be part of the German army, you have to swear this oath. Also, we're going to deny the existence of God in it. And he was like, yeah, that's not what I'm down with. So I'm not swearing that oath. And so eventually, a guy by the name of Himmler, you might have heard of him, he said, okay, well, you know what? We're going to help you out here. We're not going to make you swear that oath because you're not going to be in the regular army anymore. You're going to be in the SS. And you can swear whatever oath you want there. Include God, don't include God. I don't really care. So, quickly, Carl finds himself not only in the German army, but a member of the SS. And he has a very big problem with this because as a Catholic, he doesn't want to do anything that would go against his Catholic morals. And he refuses to pick up a gun and they're like, oh, well, we'll make you a medic. He's like, well, that's... Okay, you're not really getting my point, but whatever. So he continues to protest this, and he continues to be loud, and he continues to not go with the flow. And eventually they're like, yeah, you know what, Carl? You're a traitor, so we're going to put you up for a court-martial. Which, you know, might sound like, oh, cool, Carl's getting out of the military. No, if Carl is found guilty, Carl dies. So it's not going well for Carl. They're like, you're a traitor. And he's like, yep, I'm a traitor. And they're like, wow, this is a really easy trial. Okay, so they're about to sentence him to death. And all of a sudden, unbeknownst to Carl, poof, all of the charges are dropped. He's acquitted. And he's free to go back to the regular army. And he's like, what, what in the what just happened? So uh, someone approaches him and says, hey, yeah, Carl, we did that. We are the secret resistance. We are plotting to overthrow Hitler. And by the way, we think you're really cool and we want you to be part of us. So we didn't have them kill you. Um, please join. And Carl was not all about that life either. He was like, yeah, you got me safe from death, thanks. But I'm not about to join another organization inside of an organization that I already don't agree with. Uh, so I'm not doing anything against my Catholic faith. And like, oh, no, 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 Carl, it's cool. We are Catholic too. We're not going to have you do anything bad. Um, actually, what we want you to do is be a message relayer, right? Like, we just need you to take this message from this person in the resistance to that person and then bring back their reply. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. So Carl quickly is a messenger for this underground resistance while he is in the SS, while he is in the German army in the middle of World War II. And one of Carl's assignments is that he has to go to Rome for something, right? Like, he has to deliver a message to Rome. And while he's there, uh, sorry, let me back up. When he was getting ready to go to Rome, they're like, all right, you have a couple days off, go home, visit your family. So Carl goes home and he visits this nun who was his spiritual mother. And she goes, yes, Carl, I'm so glad you're here. We're preparing for your ordination. He's like, yeah, okay, Fraulein, um, here's the thing. I'm not in seminary. What are you talking about? And she was like, yeah, no, it's, it's going to happen. This time next year, you will be ordained. He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're really... Uh, feeling the vibe, as the kids say, but all right, whatever. So 
Carl goes on this trip to Rome. He eventually gets an audience with the Pope, Pope Pius XII, and the Pope is like, hey, I'll ordain you right now. Let's just do it. <laughs> Definitely my type of Pope. Like I, <laughs> Carl skips the last, year, the last three years of seminary and is just ordained by the Pope. So Carl goes back to Germany after this mission is over and uh, shortly after is captured by the English. And so Carl's friends, I use that term loosely, in the SS hate him, right? Because he's a traitor. He's already been tried for treason once. Now he's become a priest in the midst of this. And they're like, you are a jerk, Carl. So they convince the people who are running the POW camp that Carl is actually the worst of the worst. And he was supposed to be running Dachau, but didn't want to get caught and captured and, and killed for that. So he became a priest and is now trying to escape via that ruse. And so they, they put Carl on trial again. This time, also, the penalty will be death immediately. And so it's not going well for Carl this time either, because they're like, we think you're this guy. And he's like, I'm not that guy, but he can't really back it up. And all of his Nazi friends are like, he's totally the guy. So Carl is sentenced to death this time. There's no secret resistance intervention. There's no um, anything that comes to his aid. The sentence come down, and they're like, all right, you're dying tomorrow except the Pope comes, the same one that ordained him, and he's like, hey, slow down, guys. <laughs> this is one of ours. He's actually a priest, and please don't kill him. So he gets freed by the Pope, uh, and then eventually the, wor the world... Sorry, English is hard. Uh, the war ends, and he's free to go. So he spends the rest of his years in Japan as a Franciscan priest, and until the very end of his life is their missionary priesting, I should really speak better. He is a missionary priest in Japan. And then he returned back to Germany once his health got very bad, and he died in 2003. Carl's life is encapsulated in a book called In the Shadow of His Wings. And this is the same line that we sang in the psalm today, right? Guard me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. We're asking for the Lord's protection, not because we think the Lord is a giant bird, we're not Egyptian, but because we think that the Lord has these qualities of protection, just like a mother bird would do for her children, right? Putting her wings out, protecting them. Because here's the thing, Carl was not afraid to die. He had such strong conviction of what he believed in that he knew it didn't matter if they killed him, that he was going to go to heaven. He believed in the heaven that Jesus was talking about. So his conviction in what Jesus believed, in what he believed in the Catholic Church, was strong enough that he did not fear death. And so that brings us to the first reading, the seven Maccabean martyrs, right? So if, if you ever want to know like, what a man's spirituality is supposed to look like, read this story. Both of you, altar boys, if you want to become altar men, go home and read that story, okay? <laughs> This is, we get the super abridged version because there are children here and we don't want them to freak, be freaked out by the gruesome, gruesome details. So this part's going to get a little PG-13. The third son that is like, and he stuck out his tongue and his hands and said, it's because they were cutting them off. He was like, take them. Don't need them. Don't want them. Don't care. Ah, go. I don't need these things. I know it says that they were given to me by God and I will have them again in the afterlife. But you? No afterlife for you. He is so willing to die. His conviction of what comes afterward is so strong. He and every one of his brothers, 
and their mother die in a horrible, torturous death. And all of them are like, we would rather do this than defy our God and go against what our church, well, what our faith teaches. The conviction was strong enough that they did not fear death. Love for life did not deter them from death. Because here's the thing. If there is no afterlife, we should get as much pleasure as we can out of this life. Because there's nothing else. Like you should go as much as you can. Live everything you can if there's nothing after this. But if there is something after this, then we should spend every single day preparing for that, knowing that we have no idea when we will come to that end. It might be today. That might make you uncomfortable. But it might be. So we have to have the conviction to believe in the gospel, to believe in what Jesus says strong enough that we're not afraid to die. And so we get to the gospel. We have the seven brothers here. Remember, seven in the first reading, seven in the gospel. The church puts these readings together for a reason. But we have the, the wife who is just going through this entire family of husbands. First of all, if I'm like the fifth husband, I'm like, mm, maybe we don't get married. She seems like an axe murderer. I don't know. But the, the Sadducees are trying to trick up Jesus. They're like, hey, so Moses said this. This is the law. You're a faithful Jew. We're a faithful Jew. This is the law. So how about this, Jesus? And he's like, yeah, you guys are really not getting the point. Yes, on earth, marry so that she is not destitute and a widow without income. In heaven, marriage does not exist. Every love story you've ever heard that's like, we're going to be forever together lies. It's bad Catholic theology too. There is no marriage in heaven. I'm sorry to tell you that. Man, I'm really bringing the glory today. You might die today and also there's no marriage in heaven. But it's true, right? There's no bodies in heaven. It says that we are like angels. Again, not angels. We don't become angels. Please don't ever at a funeral ever, ever, ever say, God needed another angel so he took your loved one. That's heresy. Don't say that. We don't become angels, but we become like angels, meaning we are formless. We have no body. We are spirit, right? The body's here. The body's not up there until the resurrection of the body. We are just spirit. There's no thing bonding us to another except the love of God, right? We are fully, our joy is full when God's glory appears. That was the antiphon from the psalm. Our joy is full. His glory appears. We Yes, you should want your spouse to go to heaven. Absolutely. They are the vehicle to your holiness if you're married. You should want them next to you in heaven, praising the Lord forever. But the caveat is that you should also want your worst enemy on the other side of you. Because that's how we are bonded in heaven, right? There's no, I love this person more, I love this person less. It's, I love everyone that's here equally because the glory of the Lord is here and my joy is full and your joy is full and we are joyful together. So, little learning point here. Priests and sisters, we stay celibate because we live what's called the eschatological reality. Eschaton, in the end. Eschatological reality, thing that will be true later. We live now in anticipation of how we will live in heaven. No marriage, celibate, forever. We are trying to live that reality where the glory of the Lord is here so our joy is full. So, the problem, though, is that a lot of us are very comfortable here, right? 
Like, all of you have clothes on, praise God. That means you have clothes. You're not homeless and begging for clothes. Good. Most of you have homes, I assume. Good. And none of you look emaciated, which means you have enough food to eat. Good. All of your three basic needs are being met. Therefore, it's very easy to just be like, I'm good with this life. Like, I don't... The concept of heaven doesn't really make sense to me because I need nothing right now. I have what I need. Yeah, I have momentary sufferings, whatever, but life is good. Back in like the 1200s when you like, I don't know, dug in dirt for a living and you were paid nothing and you had to fight for whatever you had to eat. Yeah, heaven sounds really good when you live like that. When you're not sure you're going to live past like 25 because of disease, war, whatever. Yeah, heaven sounds great. But right now it's like, well, I really, you know, whether or not it exists, I don't care. But life still contains suffering, right? Like whether you suffer for a little bit, momentary, long period, life has suffering. But the beauty of heaven is that we know suffering has a time limit. It has an expiration date. Suffering does not endure forever. Heaven is forever, okay? So whether you live momentary suffering, you stub your toe and you're like, oh, that hurt. Or whether your life is just a circumstance after circumstance of things you cannot change and are powerless to fight. It has an end. And so therefore, the reality of heaven brings us hope that it will be better. So this week, as we go throughout our days, whether you stub your toe, whether you're in a, a life circumstance or a season that is just completely difficult and you don't see why Jesus is giving you this cross, the best thing we can do is first of all, say, Jesus, I trust in you. We pray that beautiful prayer from St. Faustina. Jesus, I trust in you. And I offer you whatever suffering I have. Because it doesn't matter if it's a stubbed toe. It doesn't matter if it's a terrible divorce. It doesn't matter if it's the death of a loved one. Whatever pain you're feeling is a beautiful gift and a beautiful prayer that only you can offer. And you never know what effect that will have on the church humanity as a whole, but most importantly, your own soul.